fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is a Monday, greatest day of the entire week, setting the tone for a whole another one, baby, as we're back and at it, ready to rock and roll. It is quite a week as well. We are set for the recap of Mexican Independence Day that happened over the weekend across the nation. If you celebrate that, go get a taco. It is also Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets for the Jewish community. And apparently, at the end of this week, it's going to be the end of the world. <laughs> Have you heard? Have you heard the latest news? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. September 23rd. On Saturday, apparently, it is going to be the end of the world. Doomsday Armageddon. The Savior is going to return, or it will be the disaster of the end of times. I don't know. I'm getting tired, honestly, about the end of world prophecies because, well, they just don't make a whole lot of sense to me. But nonetheless, if you are prepared for that and if you're getting ready, then this week is going to be the week. There has been a lot of different social media sites that have posted the predictions coming from The Simpsons. And as you know, The Simpsons have been right on just about everything. You know, the cartoon The Simpsons. They talk about the end of the world on September 23rd, all these different episodes that predict what could happen in this year. There were multiple different TV shows outside of The Simpsons that have predicted September 23rd to be the end of the world. So if you are ready for it, then I guess get ready and Saturday is going to be the day, man. Friday or Saturday or Friday night at midnight or something. Doesn't matter. Get ready for it. End of the world is upon us, so you only have one more week to go along with the stupid that's <laughs> that's in society. Welcome into the program. It's a Monday. Great to have you broadcasting out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas on our flagship radio station. We are all over the place. If you're watching the video stream, I promise you I'm not crying. I promise. My eyes are kind of burning and red right now, uh, but it's because I had just the inkling of an onset of a headache. And like usual, I keep with me here uh, some essential oil, a peppermint oil. And uh, here's a little holistic trick for you. If you start feeling a headache coming on, you just dab a little of the peppermint oil on your temples and it'll make it go away because the smell of peppermint actually helps get rid of the headache. But it also burns your eyes. So I promise you I'm not crying. I'm not that upset about the end of the world coming this weekend. Uh, it's quite okay. Uh, I'm prepared. I'm ready for it. Let's bring it on, man. Uh, but it's I, I promise you I'm not that upset. It's just the peppermint oil that is making my eyes all red. I also did not do the other stuff that makes your eyes red as well. So bear with me here as we try to struggle through the burning of the retinals going through the beginning of the program today. Coming up on the show today, bottom of the hour, Joel Allen. He is the author of the book, Dark Aeon, Transhumanism and the War Against Humanity. We've had him on the program before to talk about technology, talk about artificial artificial intelligence, and moving forward with technology and society. How can we protect ourselves as humans as we continue to see the hybridization between AI and humans, and we'll rely more and more on AI moving forward. So we'll have some fun with him uh, at the bottom of the hour. If we're going to go into the end of the world this weekend, then I have a question for you. What would you do your last few days as the world begins to crumble around us? I will tell you what I would do is I would dress really comfortably. I would have my stretchy pants. I would probably have my cutoff T-shirt. I probably wouldn't wear any shoes. I would I would just enjoy a little bit. Just relax just a little bit. And apparently, so is our elected officials with our latest in What's Trending. 
What's trending today? Now, as you know, there's been multiple videos of none other than John Fetterman out of Pennsylvania, who has been walking around the congressional halls and even introducing the president of the United States in gym shorts and a hoodie. Very professional. The guy that can't speak, the guy that can't process communication and questions to him, the guy that has checked himself in for depression, the guy that had like three strokes on the campaign trail, the guy that really should not be in office at all is walking around Congress with the hoodie and the uh, gym shorts, which has been kind of his thing. And people just allow it. Now, there is a, or at least there was a dress code in Washington, D.C. to say, hey, that's probably not very professional. We probably shouldn't allow that. You're kind of a special guy, so therefore we're, it's going to be okay. You're, it's, it feel like tapping him on the top of the head. You're so special, it's okay. Because apparently Chuck Schumer, as the head of the Senate right now for the Democrat side, has now changed the dress code for the Senate to allow them to dress in whatever they want to because of John Fetterman. Now, uh, I'm conflicted on this one because on one hand, we want our elected officials to be professional, right? They're like leading the country. They're representing us in Washington, D.C. They're writing legislation. They're supposed to represent the country in a very professional manner. We, they're the ones that the rest of the world looks at to be like, wow, what's the United States doing on the global front to solve the issues of the day? The global leaders that are supposed to be the brainiacs, that are supposed to be the ones truly caring about the representation of their constituency, the ones that actually care about you and I. <laughs> kind of funny but that's what they're supposed to be doing and they're supposed to look professional doing it which is why every elected official since the beginning of this nation has dressed very prim and proper and has had their suit on and has been in their full garments of what they're supposed to look like when they represent an individual on the other hand i also know that there are many people that don't want their politician to look like the stiff suit and tie to look all kind of stuffy in washington dc they want the proper representation of them so I ask you on the question is, where is that line, do you think, where they need to look professional, but yet they also need to look like they truly represent the people? So I'm assuming that John Fetterman showing up in a hoodie and a gym shorts, probably, even though it's not supposed to be quote-unquote professional, maybe just a little bit on the sloppy side, because I doubt that the entire population for the state of Pennsylvania is going to work every day and doing their thing in gym shorts and a hoodie. Because John Fetterman's doing that and trying to represent his people. I don't know why he doesn't wear a suit. Because maybe he doesn't feel comfortable in it. He gets triggered by it. Maybe because it's just too difficult and he doesn't know how to button up the buttons. I'm not quite sure. But uh, they have now changed the code uh, dress code in D.C. because of him. So now I want you to ponder this since you can't call in, but you can shoot me a message on social media or email me at who's your media network at gmail.com. And I ask, where's the line between the dressing of professionalism and wanting to look a little more relaxed to properly represent you and look like you're part of the common folk, part of the constituency that you come from? Should we have a congressman from Kansas or Nebraska or Oklahoma or Texas show up in Washington, D.C. in uh, like Carhartt overalls and having a piece of straw coming out of their mouth with a straw hat on. I would love to see that. That would be awesome. Not necessarily professional. And even though they may have that lifestyle on the home front when they leave Washington, D.C., 
I still kind of like my politician to look like they really give a crap. Because what do they always tell us in business? They want you to dress like you want to be. Dress for the success that you want to have. Now, as you can see on the video stream with my program, I usually wear a t-shirt and jeans. Why? Because I'm in radio all day long and I don't need to sit here in a suit and tie 12 hours a day in my radio studio. And I don't always dress up. However, when I go out in public and I MC different events or I partake in different political events or I moderate debates or whatever I do out in the community, I always wear a suit. If at the very least I wear really nice jeans with a button up shirt and a blazer jacket. At the very least. Why? Because I try to go in a professional manner. We're family here on this radio program, and uh, the people that watch me on the video stream, I think you're okay with me wearing a T-shirt for most of the day. However, I try to be professional when need be. When we were on Newsmax a few weeks ago, that's what we did. So is this going to change the dynamic of how we look in a professional manner? We've really tried to hold that level of professionalism, I think, throughout time. But now that everybody's wearing suits, is this the way for it to be like, yeah, we're going to change it up a bit? Are we going to start seeing the uh, business person, the multi-million dollar uh, investor walking into their meetings and uh, their hoodie and shorts. So well done. Uh, we are now crafting our dress code policy based on John Fetterman because, well, he's super duper special and he doesn't know how to button up his ties or button up his shirt or actually put on something professional. So therefore, we need to pander to him because, well, he's the elected official that apparently the state of Pennsylvania really, really wanted. Uh, outside of that, there's some other big news that we need to continue to follow. Which is, of course, what's trending today. It is, of course, the go ongoing strike. We're on what now? Day number four or five? Let's see. It started on Friday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I guess day number four now for the United Auto Workers as they say they're planning to ramp up the walkouts and the strikes against the three major companies of General Motors and GM or uh, uh, Ford and uh, what is it, Stellantis? that they're going after, saying that they want uh, the 20% increase in pay is laughable, not even a negotiation starter. I, I'm starting to think that they're getting their talking points from Joe Biden because even when Republicans are like, hey, can we at least just slow the growth of government? And he's like, no, not even a starter. We're not going to cut anything whatsoever, even the growth of government or the growth of our budget at all. Get on board with us or you're the problem. That is the fascist Nazi, socialist, tyrannical, dictatorial mindset of you get on board with me for compromise or else you're the problem when things start going wayside because you didn't compromise with your values to get on board with me. That's what the unions are doing. And I guess it's two sides of the same coin there because they both support each other. Unions who are funding Democrats, who are advocating for the changing of the industry that's going to kill off the industry that the unions are supposedly representing because that makes all the sense in the world. Andy, what do you mean? Well, they're already admitting that they're a little concerned about the advancement of electric vehicles, but yet they're funding the Democrat Party that's pushing the mandate of the electric vehicle movement by 2030 to have most or all of the newly produced vehicles by 2030, all electric vehicles that could potentially cut the auto industry worker force by 40%. So the union that's supposed to be representing the workers in the auto industry are funding Democrats that are killing off their own industry. And that supposedly is to make you feel all warm and cozy inside as the worker that you're going to have a stable job moving forward. This is the stupid that we have to deal with in society today. And these guys, this union that has taken things way beyond what is acceptable in society, is now advocating for a 40% pay increase because the auto companies are offering a 20% pay increase over the next uh, four years. And they laughed at it and said that is a negotiation non-starter. Nope. 
not even considering it. It has to be at least 40% increase over the next four years. Also, an additional increase in pay every time inflation goes up to compensate for inflation. Along with, get this, this is the best part of it, while we're increasing 40% pay, which would get them up to almost $47 an hour as an average, that's about $90,000 a year, about $7,500 a month for those that are trying to keep track here. If I did my math right over the weekend, that's a almost, almost $50 an hour rate for auto workers to sit on an assembly line 10 hours a day and to do their job. I don't know that that, that that job, not the person, but that job is necessarily worth that much. But they're asking for that while they're asking for the requirement hours to go down from five days a week down to four days a week. You want a 40% bump in pay and to not have to work as many hours. This is laughable. And while, yes, the, the auto industry is making money, or at least they try to make money because, well, the government uh, regulations telling them they have to change the way they operate, they have to use certain machines, they have to use certain ways so they're carbon neutral, they have to go towards this EV stuff, they whatever, trying to dictate how the industry works itself, they're now having to turn around and pay these workers an absurd amount of money that is well beyond what the private market deems the value for that job to be. Not saying that you don't deserve a raise in any way, shape, or form, but come on, man, you think that that's acceptable to try and go for a 40% raise, almost $50 an hour, and then go down to four days a week. Here's what I have to say for you to that, and this is to the union, not to the individual. Be very clear here, or else Democrats will be like, oh, he hates the blue collar worker. No, that's not true. Here's to you, union. Take a hike. You can, as Joe Peggs like to say, you can kiss, uh, pick a cheek and kiss it, because get your ass back to work. Really? Really? That's your demands? <laughs> this is the voice of reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the voice of reason. With Andy Hoosier. All right, I think I calmed down. I think I calmed down just a little bit. I think we we did our we did our Zen moment, <laughs> and we're ready to go again. This is where we're at in the world today, and I mentioned it many times over the weekend program for our syndicated show. If you want to listen to that, you can go back to the podcast at the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier on any of your fi- favorite podcasting sites. We did a deep dive into the more of the deeper layered onions regarding unions, individual negotiation collective bargaining, socialism, so much more. I don't want to go down that road today again, but as they continue to say they're going to ramp it up now again, this is roughly, what, 5 to 9% of the UAW right now, 150,000 workers that they have uh, had walk into the picket line and more of them apparently coming on to destroy the auto industry. What was the definition of terrorism again? Again, this is not the workers. This is the organization itself forcing them to do this. Uh, but the definition by de- don't don't try to put words in my mouth here. By definition, terrorism is to use blackmailing or physical or political force uh, to get your way that you actually want. And this is exactly what the auto unions are doing right now. Either give us everything we want, or we will destroy your business. Now the business is making money ish. They're making billions of dollars. They are making some billions of dollars. At the same time, uh, they also have to go along with government guidelines that are ever-changing and wanting to destroy this industry to have the government consume it 
to centralize it, to take it over, and it's getting worse and worse every day. And these unions, they wonder why these companies continue to take jobs out of the country. They wonder why that we have automation. There was a study that came out from, uh, I don't know this website, Jacobin. I'm not sure, jacobin.com. But they showed a study that showed the uh, difference in productivity since the 1950s, really, up until this time, and how productivity has continued to climb, meaning how much each worker is able to produce at one time. At the same time, hourly compensation up until about the 1970s has kind of gone stagnant, slowly increasing. Union membership since just beyond about the mid-1980s has continued to decline. And they try to say that because union membership has declined, that that's why hourly compensation hasn't increased the way that it needs to with the productivity that has uh, uh, continuously grown. And I'd like to remind them that there are a lot of factors on why productivity is actually on on the rise right now. We have a lot of different technology that's out there compared to the 1990s and 1980s in 1970s, in 1960s. I know it's a wild concept, but when you have more automation systems, there's less workers, and therefore it can be done at a more efficient rate for the company. Which, if you don't want that to happen, maybe you shouldn't drive wages up above what their actual value is for the company. We have automation. We have new technology for them. We have better conditions and better assembly lines. We are systems now are better than what they were 50 years ago. (laughs) I know, that's a wild thought. But then you go in there and you think that there's some need to drive uh, hourly compensation all the way up. And as I mentioned over the weekend, this is taking it, like usual, the absolute opposite way of how we need to address this issue. Instead of going down the hamster wheel, doing the same thing over and over and over again by wanting to raise wages, going to the union, fighting off the company, the company raising wages, then the company raising the price of the product, then everybody paying more, then inflation goes up, then we can't afford it again, then we go to the union, the union goes to the company, and we see this over and over and over again. Can we stop the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result? Can we try, just try something different? Andy, what's that? Maybe trying to lower inflation. Maybe trying to stop spending from the federal level. Maybe trying to stop printing money from the federal level. Maybe trying to stop raising wages, but trying to make the wage that we currently have livable by lowering inflation enough to lower the prices of the goods, to put more supply out in there for the demand, and therefore we can actually afford it. So we can afford it with the current wages we have, as opposed to raising the wages that's going to raise the price of the good, and then we see the system and the cycle repeat itself. The definition of insanity, man, and yet we continue to go down that road? As if it's just a normal thing. Stop it. Let's use our brains here for a second, shall we? Lots more coming up for The Voice Reason on a Monday. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out with us today. It is a Monday, greatest day of the entire week. Setting that tone for the rest of the week, baby. Trying to fend off the radical lunacy of the left with your patriot on the prairies here. It is The Voice of Reason. I'm (laughs) I'm Andy Hoosier. Welcome in. Trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that 5-pound bag. Joe Allen, uh, not able to get a hold of him yet. We'll see if we can't get him on here in just a little bit but it's all right uh with this ongoing protest 
I know the Biden administration has tried to say that they've created near, what, 13 million jobs now over the past three years. It's not true, but that's what they tried to tell us. And it's it's not obviously it's inaccurate. But as we see jobs being increased, I'm curious on how those jobs are being increased when we're telling them not to work because of a protest from the auto unions right now of near 150,000 of them with more than potentially coming on board unless the auto industry caves and bends to their will because, by golly, we're going to destroy you unless you do as we say. That's not the way that the private sector is supposed to work. And if you really want to truly negotiate in what's best for you and best for the company, you got to have a happy partnership there, right? It's not about one side getting all the benefits and the other one not. And it is a little lopsided. Then we need to do a few different things. I, I got this message over the weekend saying, all right, Andy, if you don't believe in the union, then what is the alternative? Because I know this is a very controversial uh, topic that I mentioned, even for some Republicans. Andy, I've been a union worker my whole life, and you're talking bad about the union. I'm a little angry. You might want to calm it down there just a little bit. And I will say my grandfather worked for General Motors for 30 years as an electrician, and he was part of the union, didn't necessarily agree with a lot of what the union did, but he was part of it. Now, I don't think he was ever part of any of these strikes or walkouts, and God rest his soul just passed a few uh, months ago, earlier this year in the springtime, um, whom I was super close to, but he was part of that union. And he didn't like them for the sole fact that they were telling him who to vote for because obviously they were funding Democrats, so they wanted Democrat policies, and he was a Republican. And he wouldn't do that. He would put Republican bumper stickers in places, and they would get very angry at him. So uh, they really do control your life and try to tell you what to do when you do end up working or be part of these unions. So if the union's not the solution, what is the solution? Because there are, it's a multifaceted answer, but it's something that, again, you have to do. It can't be a simple solution. The simple solution right here, uh, well, the simple option that we always go towards because that's the easiest, that's the simplest, that's the, that's the easiest way for them, is to just go, well, we're just going to join the union. Union will, union will fight our battles for us. We trust them. They're looking out for our best interests. They'll handle it, and then we'll just do what they say. If they tell us to go and pick it, we know it's for a good cause. We know it's for better wages. We know it's for better benefits. We'll just go and do that job. So if the union tells us to do that, then by golly, we'll just go and do it because they're looking out for our best interest. As mentioned before, that's not the case because they're funding the party that's trying to destroy the the industry by creating electric vehicles that's going to cut the workforce for union work or for auto workers by roughly 40%. We don't need as many parts. There's not as many intricate parts for the engine or for the body of the vehicle in general or for all the subparts that go into the building of the. There's not as many workers that are needed to build an electric vehicle. So, yeah, you're funding your own demise. So pat yourself on the back for that one if you're part of that union workers for the UAW. So what is the solution? If it's not the union, what is it? To try and get a livable wave, uh, wage, to take care of the worker, and to live happily ever after in unison with a company because there's always this ongoing battle thanks to the segregation and the divide that the government and that the Democrats create for us with this war, this ongoing tension between evil rich people and business owners and the blue-collar worker and how we're just abused. In fact, I even had someone on social media try to clear, uh, try to deem it as slavery. <laughs> Once again, that's pretty laughable, but that's what they tried to that's how they tried to describe it was it was slavery to work for a company like this so the solution is much more complicated but it's something that most people aren't ready to do themselves number one 
we have to, have to, have to cut the connection, the relationship between private uh, private sector corporations and the government. That's what we have to do. Right now, the businesses, whether it's a union business or non-unionized business, the corporations, the evil corporations right now, are becoming evil by partnering up with the government. And they no longer represent the interests and the needs of the consumer, or even they're getting the government contracts. They're getting the government grants. They're getting the government subsidies. And I know that's something that's going to be very difficult to do, but we have to separate the private sector and the public sector. And it's near impossible, so already we're already looking at a pipe dream. But nonetheless, if we're going to truly fix the issue, for us to live harmoniously and healthy moving forward, that's what we have to do. Stop the blending of the two. Private sector do private sector things. Public sector do public sector things. And therefore, the government stays out of the private sector and the businesses no longer can support themselves off of government subsidies, but are actually held accountable by the consumer and the worker. They make or break their business. They fail or succeed based on whether people are buying their product, period, end of story. No more just trying to do massive business write-offs and then get a government subsidy at the end of the year because they're investing in things. No more of that. Stop it. You're tied strictly to the success of your business on whether consumers buy your product and whether people want to work for you. And if they don't want to work for you, then you have to decide why. If they don't want to work for you because of bad working conditions, because of bad wages, because of long hours, because of poor leadership, because of being abused, because of whatever situation, then guess what? You're not going to have people working for you, and therefore you're going to shut your business down and you're going to fail miserably. As the worker, you don't need the union. Now, yes, there is a power in numbers which is why we joined something like political parties. That's why we are a United States of America, because we are a union of individuals. But when it comes to your worth, your worth and what you bring to the table is different than the guy next to you. You've been there longer. You have more experience. You have a background that's more in tune or less in tune. So your wages are different than, or at least should be, than the guy that's standing next to you based on your qualifications, your experience. And if you go to the table and you say, hey, I deserve a a raise because, because I've been here the longest, I've been doing this job, I know it front and back, I do it better than anybody else, I have more experience, I have more ideas, whatever, I deserve a raise because I bring more value to the table, then do it. That's the beauty of the individual. And if the company says, no, you have a few different options. You can continue to work it and complain about it. You can work your way up the totem pole and actually become the leadership within the company and actually change the policy yourself, which is a great option, by the way. You can quit and go to another one because in this nice, beautiful world that we call free market, lazy, fair capitalism, there's another company building the same thing that probably will see your worth and be like, you know what? Yeah, we want you because we want to be as efficient as possible. So come over here and we'll pay you better in this uh, market of competition. And then they go over there and they make more money and they get what they want. Or you can leave altogether and start your own venture. And do your own thing. I know, again, we're living in a pipe dream because the government tries to kill off that opportunity. Now, they want us to be the slaves of the system by having us be angry at the companies. The company's trying to uh, take advantage of the worker, and it's just you're petty, you're little, you're worth nothing, and therefore we're going to uh, walk all over you. That's what they want. But you have the opportunity to go and start your own business and work your way up. 
There's many different options. None of those include affecting the market or destroying the market based on a collective bargaining tip by a union that's trying to sabotage the market and destroy your livelihood. None of that is an option or should be an option. But it's unfortunate that we go down this road. So you as the individual have the power. We've just forgotten about it. And this one takes a lot more steps to actually fix it, but this would fix it for good, and people don't want to do that because they want the easy way out. They want somebody else to fight the battle for them. And that's where we're at today. We see right now, unfortunately, that as the jobs, and I say jobs, air quotes here, are being grown across the nation and the Biden administration talking about how awesome jobs are being created, the vast majority of them are actually federal and government public sector jobs. At the same time, so we have union workers and we have public sector jobs. All of that, what does that do? It puts the financial pressure on you, the middle class working folk, the individual trying to put food on the table, the person trying to go fill up your gas tank at the end of the day. You, this puts pressure on you, either the unions that are going to affect the market, because let's be honest, car prices are going to go up quite dramatically. Regardless of how this thing ends with the unions, prices for cars are going to go up. If we continue the uh, strike, which the last time this happened, what, like 2014, 2015, it went up, uh, they did it for six weeks. And if they're talking about ramping up even more right now, because by golly, they're going to do it or else we're going to bring them to their knees. If they do that for six weeks, do you realize how much money is going to be impacting the economy? Close to $5 billion in wages alone if they go on for six weeks, six to 10 weeks. It's unbelievable. It's also going to stop the production of vehicles, which means there will be another shortage of vehicles. After we're trying to rebuild buck up after the shortage of computer chips for vehicles, now we're going to see a shortage in vehicles. What does that do for supply chain demand? Prices go up. If they do get what they want, what's going to happen to the company? Oh, now we have a massive hit in our bottom line now. We need to raise the price of the vehicles. Guess what? So again, the person that's working the line, even with their nice little company discount, they're still going to be paying more for a vehicle along with everybody else at the same time. Now we go to the public sector. A massive increase in public sector workers. And some of them are police officers and firefighters and stuff we need. I get it. But overall, in 2023, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics and the Wall Street Journal, that so far, more than 327,000 positions have been created for federal, state, and local levels for public sector work. Roughly one-fifth of all new American jobs created the first eight months of the year have been government workers. One-fifth. 20% of job growth in the year of 2023 so far has been public sector government jobs. Where do they get their salaries? Tax money. So now you're paying more for the goods because of unions, and you're paying more in taxes to compensate for the government workers. All the pressure comes back on you. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. So the federal government just officially hit, according to Fox News, $33 trillion in national debt. We were sitting at about 28 before. Now that we're increasing our budget, we're moving forward with a budget at the federal level that's going to massively increase that. We just hit $33 trillion. Now put two more on top of that for this year, this coming year. Put two more on top of that for the next year. We're going to be sitting 
what, 35, 37 trillion, almost $40 trillion in debt as a nation. And at the same time, we're still growing the federal government like a weed as we continue to hire more federal, state, and local uh, public sector workers across the board. Now, this is this does include the firefighters that we have a massive shortage of, the law enforcement that we have a massive shortage of. I get all that. We need those individuals. Uh, although we could work on trying to find ways to do PR for the community to make the community better to not want to commit crimes and as opposed to just increasing the police state. But that's another conversation for another day that we just don't have time to do here on the program today. The burden is getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And I don't mean to be all grumpy on the first day of the week here because usually we like to start it off a little bit more lighthearted. But holy cow, man, it's daunting at times when we see unions that are like, we're going to pay you $50 an hour. It's not enough. Need more money. And then they jack up the price and they screw up the private sector and then complain when the jobs end up going away. According to, I believe it was GM, they already did some layoff of some of the non-union workers because they're already planning for this to go on for a while because there's still a wide difference in where they're coming. The companies want a 20% raise on the wages. The unions want a 40% raise with an automatic uh, increase based on whatever inflation rates that there are automatically going down to a four-day work week as well. Could you imagine, man, paying 50 bucks an hour uh, for four days of work? And then still, you know, getting your essentially 40-hour work week with all your benefits and everything, but only do it four days a week. I mean, that's when you have like three different degrees and you're some type of consultant for a really, really fancy firm. I mean, that's when you start doing that. When you start getting uh, four days a week, 32 hours a week, and you start getting the $50 an hour for your consulting work, that's when you know you're doing well. I'm sorry, but sitting on an assembly line, just going through that, that's not worth that much money. Not to say that you as the individual is not worth it, but you have to prove your worth by going above and beyond. I've told you story, horror stories of how a lot of union workers, um, where they're trained, they're brainwashed through the actual union and teaching them, hey, you don't want to work too hard here. You need to slow down. You're making some of the other union workers look bad. You don't want to do that. We're all in this together. And if you outshine some of the other ones, then that shows that you're worth more than some of the other ones. And that's just not fair because we're all about equality here. We're about equal outcome, not equal opportunity. We're all about getting paid the same. It's all about the collective. It is truly the socialist social experiment that is with a union. And it's unfortunate. Now the government's just growing like a weed with a 20% of all the jobs that have been created this year alone, government jobs. That's up dramatically from last year, where in 2022, 5% of all employment that we saw last year was government public sector jobs. This year, 20%. Pretty big difference. And if we continue on down that road, um, where are we going to look here in just a couple of years? That's why we see a lot of the presidential candidates for the Republican side. They're looking at trying to just dismantle many departments. Donald Trump came out with his uh, Agenda 47, if he becomes the 47th president, on what he would do. And one of those is to completely dismantle the Department of Education. Others have talked about dismantling the IRS and at least freezing the growth of those 88,000 IRS agents. They're not IRS agents, Andy. They're just workers. The size of the IRS needs to go down. I would say cut by like two-thirds, you know, if we need it even at all, if we can actually clean up our tax system. But again, we're living in a pipe dream. We can't go down that road and think it's actually going to be rational. Well, I mean, we are dreamers, and we can really promote whatever we want to. We just have to be willing to fight for it. We have to be willing to put in the right elected officials to do 
that job, right? And if we're going to try and dismantle the IRS, if we're going to dismantle the FBI, if we're going to dismantle the Department of Education, if we're going to dismantle the Environmental Protection Agency, if we're going to try and dismantle the Department of Energy, if we're going to try and at least clean up the Department of Transportation, where we saw another massive explosion at a train station in Nebraska this last uh, couple of weeks in the state of Nebraska, and we see the blowing up of different food distribution plants, and we see all this other stuff, then maybe that should be a sign that, hey, these departments aren't quite working the way they're supposed to. Maybe we should do something different. I don't know. But yet, we're so complacent and we've forgotten how to actually change these things that we just go along with the flow, do the same old, same old. We'll complain about it for a minute. And then the next shiny thing comes about and we forget how to actually do anything because, well, now we're upset about the next new sexy thing. (sighs) We'll continue to focus on it, though. And we got a lot of work to do. And I am optimistic that we can change it. We just have to be vigilant, which is why you need to be that catalyst for change in your own community. Be that own voice of reason. It's time for you to speak up, speak out, speak loud, speak proud, speak the truth, and always speak some reason. This is the voice of reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.